big day, Jeremy. What do you have? Well, everybody's looking at the indictment, and we're going to look at the indictment. I think uh, I got a couple interesting angles and some stuff from outside at the protests that I think is pretty critical. Everybody here in Chicago is looking at the mayor's race. Although, actually, you turn on the television, the mayor's race is gone. Everybody's looking at the indictment. But I've got the mayor's race. I also have the story from Big DNAZ, Chinese election interference in Canada. Oh, good. Ready? Yes. Okay, people, let's begin. Get up, everybody! We have liftoff! Jeremy, get up! I'm up. That's good. Are you ready to be baited, Jeremy? I just got up. <laughs> Get your baiting shoes on because you're co hosting the Truth Bait podcast. Oh, and the you clapping. Are, the, the, I hit the button and it didn't work. I'm hitting it again. You're hosting the Truth Bait podcast. That's better. That is better. I'm Andrew Marcus, documentary filmmaker, podcaster. With me always is Jeremy Siegel. Documentary podcaster, documentary filmmaker, and podcaster, and rebel pundit, Jeremy Siegel. Maybe I should document the podcast. <laughs> I could be a documentary podcaster. We are documenting this podcast right now. Uh, you're listening to the Truth Bay Podcast, where... We deconstruct America's propaganda war, which is on fire today, and we reconstruct America's cultural narrative in our image. Jeremy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Andrew. I, it's a it's a wild and crazy week. This this day this day is insane. Trump indicted, and Chicago's election to replace. Uh, uh, Larry Lightfoot, uh, it's <laughs> it is a bit. It's oh, and that's and it's not nice, Andrew. That's I, it, not nice. Uh, I, I, sometimes I'm known to not be nice. The, the I, I try. I'm trying to improve my soul. The uh, uh, this story up north too. I can't wait to get to this, Jeremy. There's a huge story brewing in Canada. The biggest scandal possibly ever in Canada, and. The American media is like a black hole that won't let the light of any information in. You can't can't escape it. It tries to get over here and it just gets sucked in and d- disappears. Well, so, they've been they've been uh, becoming experts in that process for the, at, la- at least the last one hundred years. Oh uh, well, They're I'm going to tell you about that. We're gonna we're gonna get around the eclipse, and thanks to our producer because I did not know about this story, and it was sent in to us. So it's it's. An excellent example of our value for value model. What do you want to cover first? The indictment, you know, I'm still of the mind that uh, that this is, it's, it's multiple things. One of the things it is is a giant distraction. It's also a tragedy. I know I had so many people texting me, Jeremy, uh, so upset today. Uh, really? Yeah. Like, uh, 
I had one person who I'm going to leave anonymous uh, wrote, such a sad day in America, total collapse in progress. Where are our betters on this? Mexico talking about going off the dollar to boot. Our president doesn't care. Happy to move us to the new Chinese world order. And by the way, that is, I, I mean, that is, oh, and I need to stop saying, by the way, listening to the last episode, I said, by the way, if it had been a drinking game, I would have been in very serious trouble. I'd have been in a coma. I need to stop saying, by the way. By you just said it way, again. I'm, gonna, I'm going to stop it. So incidentally, <laughs> that is one of the big things that is not being covered as everyone is obsessed with the Trump indictment, and that is the collapse of the U.S. dollar as the global currency reserve. More and more countries turning away. I'm hearing rumors that in August is when uh, BRICS is going to make the announcement that they're off the dollar and that they'll trade in everything but the dollar. So the day of reckoning is coming, uh, but pay more attention to Trump. And I also think that Trump, boy, convenient that it's today because no one's going to pay attention to the steel in Chicago, which I think is on. That's the soft prediction I'm making, which I'll know, if, a, I'll know if I'm wrong before anybody hears this. <laughs> I think there's a steel in Wisconsin, too, maybe. That's the big Supreme Court race everybody's That's talking right. about. But I think the fix was in from the beginning on that one, too. Yeah, I think, uh, I mean, I think you got to, we got to hit the indictment. Um, that's kind of what everybody's looking at. I think. Did it upset think, you? You know, first of all, nobody texted me about it, so I'm a little upset. <laughs> that upsets you. <laughs> <laughs> but in response to whoever anonymous person texted you, I don't know. Something about it I find exciting. <laughs> Legitimately. <laughs> that might be out of step with our listeners, Jeremy. <laughs> No, I don't know. I was I was I was I was watch I was flipping back and forth between a few uh of the live coverage. Wait, did you make a joke about exciting and I just missed it? Uh, it's you an did, inside joke you? between you us and you some made of our a joke listeners. about exciting and I missed yeah. it. I'm sorry. Um, but I meant it this time. It I do. I think there's something exciting about it. I was watching all the coverage and you know, yeah, there's a lot of stuff you can look at that this is the the destruction of our country and this is the day of reckoning and the end of our republic and whatever and i disagree i think all that stuff has happened a long time ago thank you that's what i had to say I as think well i think we've been living in a marxist toilet for a while um what did when, and, did, when do you put it down like what was your moment i know my moment and we're just swirling down the bowl i mean we're just gonna keep on we're just we're just really going down the rabbit hole into how ugly things are going to get but as we go down that that rabbit hole more and more and more comes to light and more and more people you know i i want i don't know is that person that sent you that text somebody that would have sent you that text a few years ago you know, I don't know, but but like I think more people are seeing what's going on. Yeah, These are things you know that. When did you do you remember when you realized? I don't know. It's some, you know. I'd I'd like to say it was twenty years ago, but it wasn't. I wasn't that ahead of my time. But I, and think I don't mean when we it, when you knew we were in trouble, but when you knew that we were gone. 
I don't remember when I when I really started accepting that reality. There was a point in time after being a filmmaker and 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 working in the streets and the protest movements for the last decade i would say somewhere in the last five or six years where i started to feel like is there any point in doing this anymore like what or maybe i should just go like go be a farmer somewhere and stop trying to fight it because it's already over how is your farm by the way it's raining, so that's a good thing. We'll get some nice flowers for the bees. <laughs> just to let people know which way soon. you ended, ended up landing on that one. <laughs> well, it's both. It's both. I'm just in it's I'm in my basement instead of in the street now, fighting the war, fighting the virtual war. Um that I'm not. Well, it definitely really. I, I in terms of what you're talking about, in terms of being in the street, I remember reaching a point where you feel like it's redundant. You've you keep seeing the same play performed again and again and again and you know some of the faces change but the roles all stay the same and at some point you realize am i just am i really going to go produce another one of these am i gonna right get another you know, one but you're and you're still seeing the same thing happen now i mean if you look outside these uh the the hearing that he had the arraignment hearing today it's a lot of the same faces that we've seen, faces we had filmed and interviewed when we were shooting in New York. It's the same activists, and Lisa Fithian is out there in the middle of all of it. That's which the point right. I, the point I made a few weeks ago that that I I didn't think he was actually going to be indicted. I thought the, that the push was going to be for indicting and then that that was going to be used as a as a carrot on a stick for the left to you know chase after for the this ongoing election cycle that we're in um but you know i thought if he was indicted that he won't actually be convicted and won't do time and i still think that is the case uh at least in this case I think we're looking at a bunch of things here. I think we're I think we're looking at narrative shaping to uh, to set the expectations for the left, and we're looking at raising things up a notch for the left on the street to really drive chaos and create an environment and an atmosphere of chaos that people are going to become very uncomfortable with um do you want to do you want to before so i think we have two elements here there's the the nuts and bolts of the of of what is happening the legal element and i don't i wouldn't want to go too deep into that because so many people are covering that but then there's the narrative element do you want to cover a little bit of the nuts and bolts first yeah, you have something. I have, I have one. I, I, so I've got a few clips from Viva Fry featuring uh, Robert Barnes. Okay. And uh, let's play. He was like a Trump attorney at one point or something. Or what? I, who, who, I feel I like he's an I think so. He, yeah, he's. I believe he's. He's a, on Infowars frequently. Yes, he is. That's right. okay. 
I only know that because he mentions that in this interview in a, in a clip I didn't take from this, but because I don't, I have to confess, I don't watch a lot of InfoWars. I know a lot of people out there love it. That is one I do not watch a lot of. They're long it's clips. It's hard to get through those to pull stuff. So. It's, a, it's an app. So if people want to okay. send in clips from there for us to talk about, that's great. Value for value. Please send us in clips. We would love and that. And by the way, when I say it's an app, you will see true news there, but you will also see news that's an operation. It's where they Anyways. go to spoil true news. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so, um, okay, here is Robert Barnes uh, talking about just the notion, you know, the nuts and bolts of what the uh, DA is doing here, twisting federal law into state law to make this case. If a local prosecutor can remove their leading party opponent for the presidency through the exercise of their criminal power, prosecutorial power, then this opens the door to ways that it effectively prevents meaningful elections. It effectively prevents someone from exercising presidential power if duly elected, uh, because the indictment does cannot constitutionally remove Trump's name from the ballot. And if he's elected, it can't remove him from the Electoral College. It can't remove that Electoral College from being cer- its vote being certified in Congress which is even more so now because of democratic reforms that they have passed that make it even harder to bring such contests. Um, and they, then the question is, can a state just lock up the president of the United States, the elected president? Uh, it has always been assumed that the answer is no, but uh, this case will now test that. If state prosecutors can weaponize their prosecutorial offices to threaten imprisonment for presidents, then or leading presidential candidates, then they can effectively control presidential policy through uh, the extortionate risk present in that. And that's a major problem. The question is whether the courts of New York are capable of stepping up to the table and answering this question or the Supreme Court of the United States, which is going to have to get involved in this case sooner or later. So I feel like that sets up what is at stake in people's minds when they're feeling like, you know, that the Constitution is under attack, that all of our norms are under attack. We're in uncharted territory, and this is how they've done it, and this is the jeopardy that it creates. Yeah, I mean, I th- they... They, you know, so Stephanopoulos, I think, the other day, who who kept saying novel, this is all novel, uh, unprecedented is like the most regularly used word now in all of this, and I think that's sort of behind all of it is that framing it in that way that everything is uncharted. Everything is something we haven't gone through before. We haven't had a president indicted before like this. We're not going to have a, we'll have never had a president elected under indictment like we're going to. They're setting the stage for constitutional crisis uh, and chaos. And I think they're setting up both sides for that. in but how does this fit some into sort it? of do, I mean do you think that they can do that event. on this on the indictment here I think it's I think here now we're looking at sort of a narrative arc and dialectical uh attacks coming where this is now a detonated bomb that's landed on us and there's now future bombs that are being launched overhead that we're going to feel 
in the next month or the next, you know, over the summer, there's going to be different things we find ourselves swirling in the middle of that you can't beat back basically. Um, so I, 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 I think in the legal side of things, you know, when you look at the, at the coverage over the last couple of weeks, you've got everybody setting the stage for this isn't the only case. There's all these other cases that are coming. And um, was that all you had with that clip? Uh, with that part of it, you can, I think okay. that, that's, that's what I have in terms of setting this up and the rest of it is commentary. Um, because I've got this, uh, this guy uh, on MSNBC, just, uh, this was just a couple days ago, um, Ellie Mystall, and he's like a legal analyst, a left-wing legal analyst on MSNBC. But he makes some points, I think, that would cause the left to get, you know, uh, a little bit down, and joining me now is Ellie Mistal, justice correspondent for The Nation and author of Allow Me to Retort, A Black Guy's Guide to the Constitution. Ellie, my friend, you recently just did a piece in The Nation called Donald Trump has been indicted. Don't get your hopes up before people start throwing rotten tomatoes at you. Ellie, I want you to put on your criminal defense hat for Donald Trump may not fit. And I want you to give me your elevator pitch very quickly as to why Donald Trump actually might beat this indictment. Okay, because we're gonna talk here about the fourth dimension, time, right? Um, uh, Catherine just laid out all the charges, I think, exactly right. But if we're talking about a campaign finance violation that is the federal crime that bumps it up from a misdemeanor to a felony, the statute of limitations on campaign finance laws is generally five years. If he committed a campaign finance violation, he committed that violation in 2016. Five years gets you to 2021 which is not the year that we're in. If he committed a tax violation, if it's criminal bookkeeping fraudulent records to cover up a federal tax evasion charge, tax evasion, the statute of limitations on that is three years. If he committed that tax evasion, let's say 2017, 2018, about the time Michael Cohen was going to jail, those three years gets you to 2021, which is not the year we're in so in both situations what you fear here if you're if you're if you're thirsty for justice as i am what you fear is that this case is coming it's not too little but it might be a bit too late jonathan is going uh, well i'm gonna ask you actually right now the follow she's like seething in anger as she's interviewing him now she like she you could see she's just she's dying for trump to go to jail and he's like busting her bubble right now so to me it's like you could see the 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 plan unfolding right there as far as my view which he sounds like i'm sorry he does sound like he's going to he he wants him to go to jail too he wants yeah he said that he he wants justice for for it right now (laughs) and so to me that's where this is interesting right because he sounds like one of the pro-trump legal analysts on fox Right? right. I mean, he's giving you all the reasons why this case is stupid and why it's not going to work or why it shouldn't work. Somebody knows that they need to walk the, walk the narrative back a little bit. They have to hedge the narrative a little bit for their viewers when it all doesn't you know, work out their way on this particular case. Yeah, I, right. Exactly. They the, and, and, and that should tell you, I think, when you see this type of reporting coming from MSNBC, clearly left-wing outlet, you know, it's 
you know, I think they are doing some some preparation here that you know don't get your hopes up. This is, and he wrote that in what did the, I forgot what outlet they said was it the New York Times? Oh, Politico. One of the he he wrote this in an article for one of these left wing papers, and you know it's like they're planting the seeds. Like don't don't get your hopes up. She goes on to ask him more, like, yeah, come on, but what about this? Like, you know, she, here, listen to this. She talks well, no, about the time Because I want to push back because, you know, this is kind of our give and take, Ellie, that you and I have. But isn't there this idea that maybe the information wasn't obtained or was not able to be obtained by the DA's office? I mean, you and I both know Alvin Bragg had to anticipate a potential statute of limitations defense. That is a very standard legal defense that you're always going to be looking at if you're a prosecutor. So isn't it possible, though, that DA Bragg didn't get his hands on the evidence that he needed because of obstruction or because something was going on and he wasn't able to do it? And that's the reason why the statute of limitations argument is out the door for Donald Trump. Maybe. I mean, the the issue, look, there- he's laughing at her because she's like, well, it's kind of not fair that maybe he didn't get the, the, the evidence he needed to prosecute him in time. There's nothing I know that Alvin Bragg doesn't know. Right. And there's a bunch of stuff Alvin Bragg knows that I am not aware of. Right. So give the man his flowers. Mm-hmm. But everything I'm saying is you asked me to put the hat on everything i'm saying is what donald trump's lawyers are going to say and all of those arguments the statute of limitations arguments the timeliness the fact that he you know to toll the statute of uh, limitations you have to be continuously unavailable bragg is going to argue that he was continuously unavailable while he was president donald trump will say i was in new york two weeks ago right like he's going to say that he wasn't continuously unavailable so i think with with uh I think this gives some insight into what at least some in the left uh, are anticipating as a result of all of this. That leads me to think in some ways this is it's just a big campaign operation, basically, that they know they're not going to end up putting him behind bars. They're not going to get a conviction out of it not on this one but now that they have done an indictment it's easier to get the next indictment than the one after that right and so i would suspect that while trump's uh, attorneys are going to press for dismissing the case even though they might have the legitimate argument to do so the left-wing judge probably won't allow that to happen just in the interest of a keeping it going and keeping it going so that this ties him up. This ties him up on spending money on legal, you know, uh, costs and attorney's fees and traveling and dealing with it. It's just, they're trying to kill Trump without a bullet. Oh, but I think that they're, I think, well, long-term in the short term, I think they got exactly what they wanted out of this, which is he just blew right past DeSantis, DeSantis who, Trump is now way in the lead for the nomination, which is exactly what they want. And you and I have talked about this. Either they think that they can uh, succeed again in their formula of cheating against Trump, which they did the first time with a with a, br- a brain damaged comatose patient, but uh, so th- there's ample reason for them to think that they can repeat that again and be successful again, uh, and drive all the same chaos again, which they've profited handsomely from. Uh, that or they are willing to let him get back into the White House so that they can have their full color revolution moment. 
uh, which uh, is entirely possible as well. In which case, what's happening here serves a very localized purpose. They've broken down this barrier of indicting the former president, and they've sowed a tremendous amount of chaos doing it. Uh, but you and you mentioned what what Trump's lawyer is going to motion to to dismiss. Let me, if you don't mind, let me play a, a, a second clip from Robert Barnes because he mentioned uh, that, and he does not have any faith in the Trump legal team, which is interesting. That it's that's the counter counter narrative on the you know it's the counter narrative on the right. Uh, he's you know pouring some cold water on people who frankly are already freaking out, but. Uh, here's what he has to say. They will likely bring motions to stay the proceedings if they're smart. Uh, I'm not, I do not have confidence in Trump's current criminal defense team. I do not understand why he doesn't have Alan Dershowitz be the lead lawyer on his team. It's clear Dershowitz understands all the issues here. Dershowitz is one of the very few lawyers in America who has won criminal jury acquittals, has won criminal appellate reversals, has won major constitutional cases, has won high-profile cases, has won politically hot cases, has won cases against the odds. That's exactly what this case is. And he's a liberal Democrat licensed in New York. So uh, why you have uh, sort of a guy who Trump's own team is leaking is kind of a dumb loudmouth who had been on Democratic media over and over again, who suggested, by the way, that this somehow was a crime years ago when he was yipping away as a mouthpiece for liberal Democratic media. Why Trump has this idiot as his lead lawyer is beyond me. So Trump needs to improve the quality of his defense team quickly. Uh, his own members of his entourage are leaking this like a sieve to the press because they know Trump reads media. It's the easiest way to reach him sometimes is through the front pages of a newspaper. Uh, he could improve in that regard too. not have that be the main means to reach. Him. But he has uh, a lawyer represented Kimberly Guilfoyle and A-Rod and other people. Uh, I've seen nothing from the guy that suggests he's the lawyer for this case and seen plenty that he's not. So. I don't know what to make of that. I, uh, what is this video from over the weekend or this clip from over the weekend? Yes, this was, uh, I think he this did was sent this. in actually from a producer from Janison, Arizona sent us okay. this clip. So I know that he did add another attorney yesterday or the day before sometime over the weekend. Um, and I know that there's been some talk that I, it's, I think the guy's name is like, Topinko or something like that. Um, that sounds like Robert Barnes is talking about, and you've seen him in the news. Got a real New York accent, and he, you know he's he's been on the media talking about uh, the case. Right, he's next to be disbarred. Right, they added somebody else yesterday who's supposed to be like the balance to him, like the real serious guy. So I don't know, I don't know anything about that, but I. Alan Dershowitz, liberal Democrat, uh, connections to Epstein, maybe also isn't the best choice, Robert Barnes. I don't know. Um, <laughs> he's another Andy's celebrity very, attorney. <laughs> isn't he very old, too? I mean, that's, I'm not even that sure. When was the last time? Well, but I, I mean, from like, you get rusty. When was the right. last time he tried a case? When was the last time yeah, he I mean, was in court? 
Right. He's a he's a he's a commentator now that has had a correct view on certain things. So he's one of those guys on Fox that I think a lot of people like because he's a leftist that sometimes takes an, a correct view on stuff. But I I wouldn't necessarily slam Trump for not hiring him. Now I think Trump's had exercised <laughs> plenty that, of poor wait, judgment. When you just said that, I, it made me think. Actually, when you said him, maybe you mean Robert Barnes. <laughs> he right. was actually upset that Trump didn't hire him. <laughs> right? No, no. I mean, I you know, Trump's definitely exercised poor judgment in the past. On well, plus, it's hard to get an attorney but, when all of your attorneys end up being disbarred or attacked in some other way, right. ostracized from the entire legal community. So th- they've effectively denied Trump the ability to have effective legal counsel. Yeah. Does Dershowitz even want the case? I don't know, Robert Barnes. Whatever. Um, but yeah, that's I. This this is I don't know if, how significant it is. He, he's he's that's but that's part of the attack, I guess, right? You've got he's going to have cases all over. He, you know these other cases are coming. So he's got to have a team now to deal with this New York case, however long it lasts. And then when the next bomb drops on Georgia or the documents, and you know they're setting up the the big one is the document scandal, that where they raided his you know Mar-a-Lago for the documents because Bill Barr's been all over the place talking about that. That's the one where he's really got serious risk. So I think you the strategy here is you you bombard him. You've got this is the first one. You throw it against the wall. It doesn't matter if it works or not because in the middle of all of this, you can achieve narrative gains and cause him stress whatever however strong and and resilient trump is you know i mean it doesn't take much to to knock you down after a while and just stressing his children too who are all watching their nest egg disappear stressing it's 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 gonna take us that's why i said they're trying to kill him without a bullet it's like you just do this, do this, grind him down, mm. and if he doesn't quit, he's going to just fall over one day. That's what they're hoping for. But they, but do you agree that they want him to have the nomination? They want to run against him. Uh, I'm, I don't know. I, I, they want I, I would, maximum chaos. That's the I whole think, game, and that's how you know this New York thing. It's the, it's they're it's already done. They, like I said, they already got what they wanted because the, what I think is happening is that they do these things because they want the right to react in a way that enables them to shape the narrative that furthers their radicalism on the left. The, the shooting in Nashville is, again, a great example of this where they uh, are taking the right's outrage, and using it to show their diehards on the left, see, look, they want you dead. And every time, every one of these bombs, it all seems geared towards creating the the narrative and the imagery that the right is violent, out of control, unlawful, and looking to tear everything down. 
And it's a tough cycle to get out of because it's maddening. They're the ones with Antifa. They're the ones that are breaking every norm. And then they hang it around our necks. And I have an example of that. Okay, go. Uh, Maxine. Maxine Waters, who's been from years ago, uh, you know, calling for indicting Trump when before any of this kind of stuff or any actual theories were coming out. It was like she made the call, like she ordered the the troops in the DA's <laughs> offices to look for crimes to go find. Um, but I found this interesting because now now she's been on a media, you know, parade about boasting of how correct she was. Um, and I found this one from over the weekend on MSNBC also. Well, let's talk about interference and your fellow Californian speaker, Kevin McCarthy, uh, who's vowed to hold Manhattan D.A. Alvin Bragg accountable for what he calls, quote, an unprecedented abuse of power. This was something I was saying the other day, how they're going to the narrative shaping is going to be that the that the right is against law and order, that the right is against letting the system work and letting justice occur. And and she she spins that masterfully here. Now, Congresswoman, considering the Republican Party repeatedly claims it's in favor of states' rights, what's your opinion of their interference in this New York case? Well, uh, absolutely, this is interference. And his claim uh, that somehow this, uh, you know, district attorney uh, has not acted properly uh, is not credible. As a matter of fact, he has no business interfering in what is going on in New York. He's trying to appeal uh, to that constituency of uh, Donald Trump's uh, that he has so welcomely joined. And so it doesn't mean anything. He is talking about doing something that the House of Representatives has nothing to do with. We will not support that. We will resist it. And he will continue to make these wild claims as he tries to consolidate uh, that constituency. But again, uh, they're barking up the wrong tree. It is too late. Finally, justice has caught up uh, with Donald Trump. Okay. So they're now is a new one that the right is against states' rights. Which is interesting, because lately you've seen, actually, the left really adopt states' rights. The way that they are achieving a lot of their goals legislatively is when they didn't have the White House for four years with Trump, what did they do? They've been working in the state houses, passing all of their radical legislation into law in the states. And this is a little spin here now showing Kevin McCarthy is, is you know, they want to have these oversight hearings and call Bragg down to the Congress to find out why he's going on this witch hunt. And what's that's a that favor to Bragg. What's that going to do, Mr. Marcus? Nothing. What's that going to do? Zero. Right? It, like no, every I, other hearing they have. No, no. It's going to further their narrative bombs. It's going to further their narrative. Yep. And the GOP, are they dumb? 
or are they uh, or are they yeah, that's the are question they playing that along itself, with Jeremy. <laughs> are they dumb are they dumb do they think calling him down there for some hearings to expose everything to everybody is going to accomplish anything or or are they playing a role in the trap that we all fall into where now we're pigeonholed into being against states rights because i could tell you we didn't like it when obama's People were going around to all the states interfering. Uh, Did we? Which what example are you talking about? What was Obama uh, doing? I, there were there were many lawsuits that they were filing from the DOJ against states passing certain laws. I don't have a specific example on me, but this was this is a normal behavior pattern in the federal government. So I'm not saying it's right. Remember, we talked about this on the last show that that. That the Republicans are, are trying to co-opt the anger without actually doing anything productive, right. and that's I think they're they're making a very cynical play for MAGA support, MAGA fidelity, without doing anything. We can all donate money to McCarthy now, the great Speaker of the House, who's going to take on DA Bragg. He's our new hero. Meanwhile. Meanwhile, our light bulbs are banned. Meanwhile, <laughs> you right. can't you. Meanwhile, you can't go buy a, a incandescent light bulb for your house anymore. Meanwhile, the dollar is crashing. Literally, the entire existence we have known is about to change in ways we can't even predict. We can't I'm even more understand about my light bulbs. I hate the LED light bulbs. You won't, don't worry. You won't be able to afford <laughs> any of them. <laughs> No, you're right. I mean, you're absolutely right. So wait until China so, cuts off all the goods. Imagine how what is inflation going to be when all the dollars are there for nothing? It's you know, it's kind of the same old, same old. I think people, some people can see it. Some people are starting to see it. Uh, and again, I think that's part of the good thing. Of things that are happening, you know, and bringing things to light. I, I, you know, this is what I said to one of my uh, uh, disgruntled, uh, uh, ailing friends today, which was, hey, you know, I, maybe there's something wrong with me. I'm not upset about today. I'm upset about the, I was upset about the death of our constitution when we shut down the country. That yeah, was, that was well, when I knew the constitution was officially dead. And it was even before that. And you can talk about the Constitution. The Constitution is really useless without, one, moral people, and two, the Bill of Rights. It's the Bill of Rights that have been eroded. Mm-hmm. It's the Bill of Rights that protect our speech. It's the Bill of Rights that protect our right to bear arms. It's the Bill of Rights that protect our legal rights and rights against searches and seizures and standing armies. Bill of Rights is what gives the rights to the states that aren't enumerated to the federal government, to the Congress. The, without that, the Constitution can be used efficiently by marxists <laughs> as we as we are learning and this was what i as said we to, are seeing this is what i said today to my friend which was i guess i'm i'm actually i it's weird i don't want to say i feel a sense of relief it's more numbness 
but I feel like this is what needs to happen for people to wake up. I don't know how long That's I have right. been trying to warn my friends and family and colleagues and, and the world around me that we have empowered Marxists in our government. We've empowered the very people who hate us most because we've been convinced that it is the feel-good thing to do, that they're not really these Marxists. That's just a crazy line that people say. <laughs> Conspiracy theory. And now it's becoming obvious. It's getting right in everybody's face, which is apparent. sadly, regrettably, that's what it takes. So, But if that's what it takes, then this is a step in the right direction. And this is a pattern of all totalitarian regimes and authoritarian regimes the the more the people wake up which has been happening i can tell you the more people wake up the harder they crack down and the harder they're cracking down the sooner they crumble under their own lunacy under their own totalitarianism but the good thing about how hard they're cracking down now is also indicative of more people being awake to what's going on. But as people and wake the fact, up, they need to be wise, though. People need to be right. smart. And we don't seem to exhibit a tremendous amount of tactical intelligence on our side. And that may no. be because most people are just waking up to the fact of this fight. And that that's the first step towards developing good, sound strategy. Uh, but we need to learn nonviolent organizing, nonviolent protest, which is what they want to egg us into. They want to bring us into a violent state of affairs. That's right. In, they they need us to be violent so that they can crack down on us justifiably or that they can justify their cracking down they're smashing heads with batons and throwing people in jail and eventually shooting people in the head like real marxists love to do you so you can see now then when you turn to the street outside the courthouse lisa fithian with her giant black banner and all of her other rancid ladies that she's out there with, you know, that with their Trump is guilty and their arrest Trump and Trump lies about everything all the time. And she's the one that we know comes in to shut down bridges and burn cars and create black block demonstrations. And now you also have people from the Congress who are out there. Marjorie Taylor Greene goes down there, who we have mixed feelings about uh, on the right, but she goes down there to protest uh, what's happening I don't know that that's I, I couldn't say that that's helpful at all. But uh, do you remember uh, point, the, what's the point of it? Right. So do you remember uh, last week after the shooting in Kentucky, there was a congressman who had this crazy scene in the halls of Congress. Yes. It was a it's a black congressman from New York named uh, Bowman. Didn't he put his hands on Massey? He was in his face, I mean, belligerent about the gun thing. And I have the clip. Tell me if this is a way that a congressman could be expected to behave. 
talking about gun violence. In a school that allows teachers to carry. Carry guns? You think more guns lead to more death? More guns lead to more death. Look at the data. You're not looking at any data. The you're you're, you're, you're carrying the water for the gun lobby. No, no. Look at the data. More guns lead to more deaths. For the kids. States that have open carry laws have more deaths. In every school that allows. States that have open carry laws have more deaths. There's never been a shooting. Are you listening to what I'm saying? Yeah, calm down. Calm down. Children are dying. Okay, so this guy. Crazy, right? And then, and this is this is a staged event. Okay, the reason this is staged is getting the outrage out there and conveying to all the people that outrage is warranted and is expected and justified. If you see a congressman behaving like this, get ready. You can behave a lot worse in the streets. Mm. And this, yes, that's and, right. It gave them their narrative impetus for their violence, and so their spiritual was, impetus. So he was out there again in the street today. Mm-hmm. Now, well, he's got—he's a multi-issued man. He's sounding a little bit more rational here in this clip. So look at what you see right here, right now, okay? You have a member of Congress, right? A federal representative. You have the public advocate, Jemani Williams. You have city councilwoman, Sandy Nurse. Another city councilman, Chi Ase. We got grassroots organizations with us. You've never seen this before. So we're coming together in new, different ways to reimagine, rethink, and redesign our democracy for a system that works for all of us. We're not going to get caught up in the, the back and forth and the, and, and the social media and the circus, and we're not getting caught up in that. That's a moment. We're trying to build something special. And so we need everybody to help us build that special thing. But, and but, that's why, listen, that's why, as a member of Congress, do you ever see members of Congress do what I'm doing right now? Look at what I'm doing. I don't even know this dude. I don't know his life. I ain't asking no nothing. I'm talking to him because he approached me with a demeanor to engage. And that's why we're talking. I don't care if he got five followers. Those five hear this conversation. If they're inspired or if it, if it, spe- if it sparks it, then they could go do their research. You know Con- what I'm saying? Congressman. So we out here just trying to move in truth and love. That's Congressman, all. Hey, have you been engaging uh, Congresswoman Marjorie Taylor Greene? She don't want to engage no Democrat in Congress. She's all about the hateful rhetoric. She's See, that's what I'm Trump's water. There's got to be some... Okay, so he's sounding a little more balanced there today. But he's about peace and, and love. Right? Peace and love. Not going to engage in all of this stuff with the social media back and forth and whatever. And then she comes and says, I don't know who, who this other woman was. There's a bunch of you know, kind of, uh, you know, just blogger type people out there with little video cameras asking questions. It's kind of like a little gaggle going on around him. And she's like, are you going to engage Marjorie Taylor Greene? Because everyone knew that she was going down there today. And she ended up getting shouted out basically she had a megaphone and she was she got they they were passing out whistles and bongos and drums basically to drown her out and this is old typical behavior at the left-wing street protest that's fine nobody on the right should be going to the left's party this is the left's party stay away 
And this was set up as the left's party two weeks ago when they pulled out the barricades. Right. And you, you saw that. Lisa Fithian down there then. She's out there today. And now this guy from Congress, who's initially talking, you know, about not engaging in all the, you know, crazy stuff. Then he's asked about engaging Marjorie Taylor Greene. And he says, well, she doesn't want to engage with us. She doesn't want to talk to us. Maybe maybe this explains why, because this is the same man you just heard. A crime should be held accountable. Congress By the way, this is right uh, near Marjorie it. Taylor Greene. <laughs> you said right. <laughs> this is right near oh, by the way yes <laughs> right i mean marjorie the camera pans from marjorie taylor green to bowman this is he's a representative from new york this is a congressman i was born and raised in new york city this is the city that I love. It's a city focused on hard work and love for all people. She doesn't want to engage with me. She doesn't want to engage with That's, Democrats. He's almost inciting a mob against her. Yeah. We will never accept hateful rhetoric in our city. <laughs> like get out like telling a woman get, to get out, out of here get out of here with your hate wait so you can okay so i just want to you can tell somebody to get out of a city but you can't tell somebody to get out of a country like go you know go back where you came from or leave the country those are those are epithets but get if you but if you say here. get out of my city that's a declaration of justice yeah this okay. is a nice wise guy here we go rhetoric that is divisive, any rhetoric that uplifts white supremacy, we are pushing back against that in all its forms. Marjorie Taylor Greene needs to take her back to Washington wow. and do something about gun violence, do something about affordable housing, do something about childhood poverty, do something about climate change. Do your freaking job, Marjorie Taylor Greene. You don't need to be in New York City talking that nonsense. Go back to your district. Not, what are you doing here? He's he's there too. It's he's got the same job as her. Why wouldn't she want to engage with him? <laughs> right. But it here, let me tell you something. So I, I'm going to bet you they coordinated together. I'm that cynical. Cynical. I think they were. I think they're wow. working together. Yep. I'm going to give you another ding. <laughs> you you agree? <laughs> yeah. What is she doing there? What is she doing there? We know it's a trap. Everybody knew it was a trap. No one else went. If you look around the protest imagery out there, there's hardly any Trump supporters out there. Of course, the media is having a field day pointing that out as if trying to paint the narrative that you know he's losing popularity or something. Meanwhile, his poll numbers are continuing to go up the more that this kind of stuff happens to him. But look at this is the here's another one. This is somebody that's out there. Tell me if these sound like conservatives or leftists to you. you that's it at Mar this is directed at MTG. Okay. Wow. 
This is that this is a such a case study in human psychology. What you can do to somebody, what what people think that is permissible to do to somebody when once that person is vilified. You remember that there's that test that medical, that psychology test where somebody's in another room and they're hooked up to uh, electrodes and they bring in the actual person who's, the, who's the, the person being studied. They don't realize that they're the ones being studied, but they say, you know, these electrodes, you, you push this button, you turn this dial and it's going to shock the person in the next room. And they're given instructions to shock the, the stranger in the next room. And almost all of them shock the stranger to the next room to the point of where it would be electrocution. Now, meanwhile, the person in the next room isn't hooked up to anything for real. Uh, it's it's a test to see if the person will electrocute them. Now take that test and imagine you add to it that that's Hitler in the next room. Uh, the, the ease and speed with which you can get per- a person to be in a frenzy to electrocute Hitler in the next room uh, would be uh, is exactly what we're looking at. That's that is what we are looking at. We're looking at people who have been convinced it's Hitler in the next room. It's a mil- it's any Hitler they want. It's Marjorie Taylor Greene is today's Hitler. So is and Trump. I don't know. I don't know if that guy screaming saw Congressman Bowman screaming, but right now just about everybody has seen Congress Congressman Bowman screaming because it's on the Drudge Report, it's on MSNBC, NBC, ABC, CBS. It's everywhere. Well, he's just reinforcing it at Pundit. this point. This has been it's, it's, a machine in progress for decades, for years well, at least. But what it is, quite literally, is is if you've got a con, is he going to be reprimanded by the Congress? Is Kevin McCarthy or is anybody going to do anything? Which no, doesn't matter. Anyways, he's going to be rewarded. If they do is he going to get censured? Which doesn't matter. Anyways, but he's just allowed to go out and act like this, and he's in the Congress. Yeah, I mean, this is this. So this is the caliber, and he's not the only one. There's AOC, and there's all the others. There was another one the other day that uh, I think she was the woman who's like a unelected rep from the Virgin Islands was throwing documents at somebody. I mean, just right. total disrespect, total, just total disrespect for the the Congress, the country, the people, the rule of law, all of it. And when you see Congress people acting like this, that's call to arms. That's call to arms. It's escalation. And now you see everyone chase MTG out of there. Now, why'd she go down there? Maybe it is. Maybe that's to get everybody on the right riled up. Get everybody, get everybody ready to, to have skirmishes in the street. Right. The narrative. don't want to do that. The binary narrative now is about her and him. You don't want to do that. You got to be nonviolent. Trump is not the president. Hold your Joe Biden own is the president. Hold your own events. Mike Flynn is not your general, and Trump is not your president. Not until he wins again, or you're going to get locked up for sedition. Be wise, people. You need to move on from the point where you are, are, are angry uh, and mortified that that that. We no longer have the Constitution. You've you've passed through denial, and I applaud you. And and now you're working through your anger, and after anger comes strategy, and that is where we all need to arrive. Um, I, do you have much more on that? 
No, we can move on. Well, I have I, had I have something related things, to but... it, which is which is interesting, and I think people might be interested in this. I have this was one more thing that Robert Barnes said that that piqued my interest. I had not heard about this. Let me let me play this, and you can tell me if it's of any interest to you. Maybe I'm going to bore you. You tell me that. Hold on. It simply looks very bad for the party one party to be indicting with the other party's uh, leading candidate for the presidency. And in fact, it is a common criticism leveled by the State Department of the United States against foreign governments when they do that. The movie that won Best Documentary uh, was about Navalny, who Navalny is like the Lyndon LaRouche of Russia. He was never a leading candidate for anything. But it won Best Oscar under the pretext that it was terrible that he was ever indicted, even though he was not a former prime minister, never a leading candidate to be former to be prime minister uh, or to be president in Russia. Uh, and yet we condemned and issued sanctions against Russia for that. And now we're doing far worse. And that's right. We did. I had never heard of that story. I had never heard of that film. I went and looked up on the State Department website. Uh, the United States joins the European Union in condemning and responding to the Russian Federation's use of chemical weapon in the attempted assassination of Russian opposition figure uh, Alexei Navalny in August 2020 and his subsequent imprisonment in January of 2021. Now, they haven't uh, poisoned Trump yet, but uh, <laughs> that's only a matter of time if the heart attack doesn't uh, isn't caused by what they're doing to him, as you say. Uh, but, you know, here the United States has consist consistently characterized the legal offense against Mr. Nelvaney as politically motivated, an assessment shared by our G7 partners and European Court of Human Rights. So and that, they're talking about the legal offense. They're not talking about the, the, the poisoning. So they are doing exactly what they accuse, what they condemn other governments for doing. So I went and I looked up. Uh, Nelvaney to to see who this is and what his story was. And I found this 60 Minutes, uh, uh, well, I call it a, a big, wet hug and a kiss. They, they did a profile on him two years ago, uh, maybe about two and a half years ago at this point. And it is, it is a love letter. And it has a very surprise ending. A lot's been said about Russia meddling in our 2016 presidential campaign. But the Russians are already buzzing about their presidential election next March because unexpectedly, Vladimir Putin has a genuine challenger, a handsome 41-year-old lawyer, Alexei Navalny, who has chosen one of the most dangerous occupations in the world, running against the man who controls the Kremlin. The election process in Russia is tightly managed by the government, but Navalny has been drawing big crowds to his protests and rallies all over the country, where he laces into Putin with no holes barred. So you see where I'm saying that's a, it's a love letter. They, this guy's their hero. He's handsome. Okay. Mm-hmm. Putin is a thief and the head of the entire corrupt system. This is one brave man. 
not only because he has taken on the all-powerful Vladimir Putin head-on, but because he's been holding rallies, many of them without official permits, which has had its consequences, one arrest after another. During my campaign, I spent every fifth day in the jail. So now I'm kind of, you know, used to it. Nothing new for me. It's, it's became a routine of my life. You're not allowed to run. I'm not allowed to run. And they put enormous pressure of our, on our headquarters and on our uh, volunteers. My uh, chief of campaign get out of jail just yesterday. So uh, all these uh, facts show us that he's really afraid, not of me, but these uh, people who are standing behind me. We have uh, now 170,000 uh, volunteers. His most watched documentary, with over 25 million views, focused on Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev and his estates. Navalny says all five of them. The video inflamed so much outrage that in March, tens of thousands of Russians took to the streets. When Navalny called for a second round of protests three months later, he was arrested before he even left his apartment building. But his supporters came out in droves all across the country. And like Navalny, close to 1,700 were arrested. Look, and at the uh, start of the 2011, I was a respectful lawyer. At the end of the 2012, I was several times convict. He was close to his brother, Oleg, seven years younger. So it was painful for him when three years ago, the government, to get him to stop his activism, he believes, convicted him and Oleg of embezzlement, a ruling the European Court of Human Rights called arbitrary and unfair. Okay, so here's their hero. He's a champion. He's standing up to Putin. And his story tracks very closely, again, other than the poisoning, <laughs> there's a lot of similarities to what's happening with Trump and Trump supporters. Uh, at, the, at, the, at the protest where uh, Novaney was arrested, they, they also arrested 1,700 of his protesters, which sounds very much like January 6th. Yep. So, of course, the guy gets a Hollywood movie made for him. Uh, this was produced by uh, CNN and HBO. Whoa. Vladimir Sanch. Okay, I'm going to translate that for you. He, he is uh, calling the general Vladimir uh, who he believed tried to kill him with the chemical agent. And he says, Vladimir, I'm calling to find out why you tried to kill me. Vladimir Sanch, this Navalny Alexei was disappointed. He wanted to know why you wanted to kill me. Remarkably, Vladimir Putin faces a legitimate opponent, Alexei Navalny. I don't want Putin being president. If I want to be a leader of a country, I have to organize people. The Kremlin hates Navalny so much that they refuse to say his name. Passengers heard Navalny cry out in agony. Come on. Poisoned? Seriously? We are creating a coalition to fight this regime. If you are killed, what message do you leave behind to the Russian people? 
It's very simple. Never give up. Navalny. So he got the full hero treatment from our media establishment because he was attacked and arrested by an authoritarian regime. And the contrast is pretty startling. The left has no trouble identifying the injustice against Nalvani and are completely blind <laughs> to the exact same, nearly the exact same thing playing out right in front of them. They're cheering it. Not only are they blind to it, they're cheering it. Are you accusing them of hypocrisy? Oh, you have no idea the level of hypocrisy I'm accusing them of. You just walked into my next clip. <laughs> oh, they are so excellent. hypocritical. Why? Why do they hate Trump? Why do they hate MAGA? Because we're Nazis. We're, we're neo-nationalists. We're racists, right? Yeah. Oh, but they love Nalvani. Yeah, well, here's something that didn't make it into the trailer, but it apparently was in the 60 Minutes uh, piece and, and covered in the 60 Minutes piece as... They basically they 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 mention it and then they brush it off. They move on. It's like a it's like it's a footnote. They get it out there because then the media can say, "Well, we covered this," but it, it didn't make it into the trailer. I haven't watched the movie yet. It'll be interesting to see if it's in the movie. Uh, but here's this little piece of news that, that, that they dropped in the 60 Minutes piece. Navalny's platform includes more spending on education and health, restoring a free press, and taxing the oligarchs. In the West, he's assumed to be a Russian liberal. But there was a time when he marched with nationalists, some of them fascists, something he's tried to downplay lately. You have attended nationalist, what we would call right-wing rallies, uh, I believe in support of ethnic purity, Russian ethnic purity. Have you supported that? Uh, of course not. I uh, was part of these uh, rallies because I support the freedom of rallies, because I uh, support uh, freedom for meetings. Oh, they're supporters of yours. Uh, they're part a lot of, of your them. following. A lot of them supports me and they recognize me as a leader. When he was growing up, he came from a committed communist family in a small town south of Moscow. That's almost secondary. Which was okay. Which was that's when he was growing up. He was normal, but then he got <laughs> radicalized. He literally has a history of of participating in Nazi rallies, <laughs> neo Nazi rallies. Well, uh, maybe not Nazi, but uh, whatever they call themselves, uh, uh, ethnically pure ra ethnic purity rallies. It's isn't it odd that the media and the left. And the right, actually, both parties. John McCain was a huge supporter of the Nazi rebels in Ukraine. It, it, they, they, Isn't it funny how they seem to hate so-called Nazis here or paint people like Trump as a Nazi here? Right. But then help and assist with the installation of Nazi regimes in other countries. They have huh. no problem with Nazis. Zero. They will turn a former Nazi into a hero a for their narrative. Hero. And they will He's turn and they will handsome. turn what did you say? A handsome hero. A handsome brave. Yes. <laughs> handsome and brave. And they'll turn a Trump 
who, regardless of whether or not you think he's a hero, he's an he's an average guy. He's an American. Certainly not a Nazi. <laughs> Certainly not a Nazi, but that is the narrative they've built up from the same media. The exact same corporate media. So yeah. I feel like I shouldn't trust them. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> All right, you want to move on? Yes. The other big story of the day is the Chicago election. And I have a soft prediction to make, but I'm not going to make it right this second. Uh, okay. It's a soft prediction because I I don't know how, how, how much confidence I have in my own prediction on this, but I have evidence that makes me wonder what, if I, if I, if I might have an idea of what is going to happen. Let's listen to... A couple of ads. These are the two candidates are Paul Vallis and Brandon Johnson. Uh, both of these are uh, uh, Paul Vallis is a an institutional leftist, a corporate leftist. Brandon Johnson is a Marxist leftist, a uh, communist leftist. Um, Paul Vallis, uh, I don't know if he's a Marxist. Uh, as much as he is, he certainly, you know, all of the left is a Marxist machine at this point. So you could accuse him of being a Marxist, but I think he's more, he's more of a, like, you know, he's more of a corporatist, I think, than a Marxist. He's like a Republican. Well, that's what Brandon says about him. <laughs> <laughs> he's definitely not a Republican. Well, let's, let's look at a couple of their ads. Let's start out with just a couple of their ads. Brandon Johnson doesn't want you to focus on his goal to defund the police. Our effort and our move to redirect and defund the amount of money that is spent in policing. I don't look at it as a slogan. It's, it's, actually, it's an actual real political goal. And he's not kidding. Today, candidate for mayor Brandon Johnson said he would cut the Chicago police budget by at least $150 million. Brandon Johnson's goal is to defund the police. Paul Vallis will put crime in your safety first. So Paul Vallis will put crime in your safety first. Uh, here's Brandon's response. What do we know about the real Paul Vallis? The Paul Vallis who wrecked Chicago schools' finances, leaving us with billions in higher property taxes? The one who was just caught spreading racist and homophobic tweets? Or the Vallis who admits that he's really a Republican? I'm more of a Republican than Democrat. Shady Paul Vallis. Wrong for Chicago. For mayor, the choice is clear. Brandon is better. Well, there you go. He's a Republican. He even says he's a Republican. I told you. <laughs> he is not a Republican. <laughs> he's he got, is. He has so strange friends for a Republican. <laughs> Rom was a Republican, too. I saw all the left protesting in front of his house. I was out there. That's right. Because he was a Republican. Well, hmm. See, <clears throat> this, is what is, this is what I love about this race. This race is a perfect specimen for the ecosystem of the left where you have the elitist corporatists on one side and you have the communists street organizers on the other side and normally frequently these act symbiotically they work with each other to elect each other, it's only very rarely that they end up going head to head like this, and you get to see the 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 full fracture and the and the and the true sides 
of this party. And See, I... Th- sorry, go no, on. No, 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 go ahead. Because I think to that point that the that Brandon, I've dealt with him before. I've interviewed him years ago when he was just a street-level activist. I think he's a true believer communist. I agree. Okay. He believes... He really believes his policies are going to help and make things into a beautiful utopia. He's different than the, there's a different caliber of Marxist that's out there. The people who wrote their ideology down, the Marxes and the Hegels, the Marcuses, they were real destroyers. They knew there is no better outcome on the other side of their revolution. I'm not saying that makes Brandon better. I'm just saying that I think that's where he's at. He's an idealist on the scale. Right. (laughs) And then, and then he he sees, I think that he sees that what he's going to do is flip the scene in this town uh, where he basically is going to start sending streams of revenue towards his constituency as he sees. Right. And then Vallis on the other side, I think when I say he's a Republican, I mean that in the sense, like when I say Rom was a Republican, and I mean that in the sense that they are like the types of Marxists that aren't utopian, you know, dreamers. They're like central planners. Yes. And their perfect their perfect world is control over everything and they make a lot of money and acquire a lot of power and the corporations that uh, donate to their campaigns get get even more money and power in return and then their system continues to feed each other and get wealthier and wealthier off the backs of poor people and brandon's probably right when he calls them out for that yes except they're still both on the same side yes it is the same bird these are different feathers on the same bird all flying in the same direction no question you want to hear some of the media i pulled some local media from last night just to hear what the tone was in the in the run-up to voting day which is when I voted. I voted today, Jeremy. I went and I voted, and I, I have to tell you, I I almost didn't. I, this is a this is a t- this is a struggle for me. I know the vote is rigged, so participating. Who did you vote for? None of your business, Jeremy. How <laughs> <God, laughs> dare you? you. Voted for your, I know you. You voted for yourself. <laughs> um, unfortunately, I'm a property owner in this town, and the only proper vote for a property owner in this town is Paul Vallis. Uh, and that's it's a short-term self-interested vote. But it was very tempting to vote for Brandon Johnson because I think he's the more honest vote for this town. This town is Marxist. Uh, the people that, that are walking around thinking that it's not, they have their heads up their butts. They don't know. They don't realize. Uh, this is a very communist town. And I think that Brandon Johnson is the honest face of the politics in this city. Uh, so, um, 
but that uh, I went and I put my vote in the Dominion machine, and I just wanted to vomit. Also, it's not going to get counted anyways. Uh, it's, it is all predetermined, my man. It is. Pre- I'm in Chicago. <laughs> this is done. You are a conspiracy. It's, it is going to be about who manufactures the most votes. It's not about who's getting who gets the most votes. It's, it's which machine, the Vallis machine or the Brandon machine, which one is going to have the ability to churn out the most votes. That's what it is. That's the that's what our democracy is now in our country. That's what elections are now. Here yeah, is print ballots like dollars. Right. You just print them. As soon you just hit, you'll hit the button. You won't even have to print them. They'll be the the digital ballot. That's what they want. It is. It'll make it so much easier. Uh, this is digits. WGN report from last night. And see if you pick up on the bias here. Paul Vallis is starting the day in Roseland, where he grew up. Brandon Johnson's first visit is to the House of Hope in Pullman. The mayoral hopefuls made the rounds at Sunday church services. They targeted voters in black wards where Mayor Lori Lightfoot did well during the February primary. Vallis, the former CPS chief, campaigned at New Covenant Church on the south side. Later in the day, he spoke to supporters at Ann Sather Restaurant, owned by retiring alderman and supporter Tom Tunney. Vallis accused opponent Brandon Johnson of distorting his record and creating divisions to distract voters from the issues. He has made crime the centerpiece of his campaign, arguing the city will not be able to move forward until that issue is addressed. My opponent is trying to create differences where none exist because he wants to distract voters from the issues at hand. Crime is going up and crime will be my number one priority as mayor because public safety is a fundamental human right. This is an exciting moment for Chicago. And you can feel the energy all over Chicago, can't y'all? No matter where you go, people want a better, stronger, safer Chicago. And they want a leader who can collaborate with people, bring people together. Cook County Commissioner and former teacher Brandon Johnson has been telling voters he's the only real Democrat in this race. His campaign stops Sunday included a comic book shop and a Dungeons and Dragons themed bar. Johnson has promoted his smart policing plan to promote 200 detectives and CPD and to deploy mental health specialists to free up officers to focus on the most violent cases. He has taken heat for proposing an $800 million tax plan to fund his programs. He has defended that, saying it is a tax on the rich and that they should pay their fair share. Now, who was that report biased towards? Sounds like they like Brandon. You think? Their their entire coverage of Paul Vallis was defensive. They show Paul Vallis as as a defensive and attacking Brandon. You know, it's funny because that was WGN, you said? Yes. And uh, I was in the car yesterday. I don't have the clip on me. It was just a. Ra- I was I was flipping through the radio, and I landed on WG seven twenty is WGN right in Chicago? Yes, I think so. It's so been I a long time since I've listened to terrestrial radio, though. Well, we get that AM seven twenty in Wisconsin here, and I was hearing it, and the and it was a similar type report on a on one of their talk programs and it was totally the same thing and it was undermining ballas and it kept taking this posture like you can choose who you want to choose and we don't know and blah 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 but it was like really downplaying the radicalism of brandon johnson right brandon johnson just wants to bring people together 
that was the that was the big message he had. He probably wants to bring people together, just like Congressman Bowman. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, I my feeling is Brandon Johnson would be completely over completely over his head uh, being mayor of Chicago. It might be more fun to watch than Larry. No, no question. I mean, Lori. <laughs> He's a better politician than she is, though. He's a much better politician. Yeah. She's just He's so been hard being to look groomed. At. He was groomed by the CTU. He He's been, was. Yeah. All the same people that Obama was groomed by. Yeah. Uh, here is not all of the media is on his side. This comes to us from one of our producers, Anne, in Wisconsin. This is very exciting. And I don't have the, it comes from YouTube Shorts. And YouTube Shorts carries very little information about the clips. So I don't have the name of this reporter. This is a young black woman who I must have been moderating one of the debates or one of the candidate events. And she just took Brandon to task. Mr. Johnson, this question is for you. On multiple occasions, you've spoken on the topic of defunding police. In 2020, you said, quote, defunding this failed system of incarceration and policing was not just admirable, but necessary, end quote. As far as redirecting funds, if we look at your record, you introduced a resolution and passed it with the support of others to redirect money from the sheriff's office to other areas. So first, do you acknowledge making those recorded and documented statements, yes or no? I'm not gonna defund the police. If you could answer the question, though, yeah. do you acknowledge making the statements that I just read by quote, yes or no? What I've acknowledged is the fact that there are people who are incredibly frustrated. Mr. Johnson, when, if I could get you back to the question, yeah, of course. it's solely yes or no. Do you acknowledge making those statements? Look, you've yes already no? you've already quoted. What I'm saying is, though, so you is that it provides some statements? Of course, I'm acknowledging okay. it, but I want to so make sure that we have context to answer to the question. But yeah. I just want to move on to the next part of it. <laughs> I want to make sure we have context <laughs> that what I said me didn't mean what it meant I said, even though it meant exactly what I said. Uh, she just was not having any of it. I like that. She sounded good. Right. Uh, it would be nice if that we, if all politicians could be given that treatment by the same people. Uh, she must not been working for the mainstream press. I think that she might. She might be with one right? of the other main channels. I don't know. Well, look, none of these are, you know, these these stations have some range in their in the opinion of the people working there, as long as it's all on the left. <laughs> there's left and far left, so there's a range. Here's Channel Seven. Uh, they followed uh, Vallis in the morning. And it's one piece of this jumped out at me. Paul Vallis out on the campaign trail this morning, hoping he'll taste sweet victory tomorrow. The mayoral hopeful was at Old Fashioned Donuts on the far south side in the Roseland neighborhood, flanked by supporters including U.S. Congressman Bobby Rush, Alderman Anthony Beal, and former mayoral candidate Jamal Green. Isn't at least one of those a former Black Panther? Bobby Rush was. Those are all uh, Southside Black Aldermen uh, from Chicago. <clears throat> it's interesting. So they're supporting Vallis and not Johnson. I have a yes, that's right. And this is what I'm <clears throat> that saying. Was Paul this McKinley is what's was mentioning that. Uh, what's that? Paul McKinley was mentioning that a couple weeks ago when we talked to him that he didn't think 
uh, Brandon Johnson had any black support and that the black aldermen were going with Vallis, this validates his claims. I think the interesting thing there and why, those are all people that rode with Obama. Bobby Rush rode with Obama. Beale's just the old, typical, same Chicago Democrat type guy. Um, <clears throat> but I think it tells you it's this is the battle of establishment versus those true believing communists yes. who actually don't really end up in power. They become a problem. They, if, if, if Brandon Johnson gets in, he is going to be over your, over his head, like you say, and that becomes a problem for the left. Well, I don't, hold on. I, I don't know. I don't know. Not necessarily because if you're the, if you're, the communist machine, if you're the true believers, then Brandon Johnson's exactly who you want because you're going to be able to control him. He'll, be, he'll do exactly what you want. Let, here, let me play this real quick. This is a Paul Vallis ad that has a list of his endorsements. Uh, it, it, not a, you know, I mean, it's a number of his endorsees. Alderman Sophia King, uh, Senator Dick Durbin. There's that, there's that white liberal machine for you. Uh, Bobby Rush, Alderman Taberas, which is Hispanic. Uh, and then former Secretary of State Jesse White, which is, uh, you know, black establishment machine. The truth about Paul Vallis. Paul Vallis is a pro-choice Democrat who will protect our values. We can count on Paul to strengthen Chicago's economy and create good-paying jobs. Paul will invest in the South and West Side. Paul Vallis will make sure we not only have more police, but better policing and real accountability. Paul Vallis will bring our city together and collaborate to solve problems. Join these Democratic leaders. Paul Vallis for mayor. So, that's, he's the machine. And when you look at, if you go to the websites of these two candidates, it go to the endorsements pages. All of our listeners, go to the endorsements page. Go to Brandon for Chicago. Go to paulvallis2023.com, brandonforchicago.com, and just click on the endorsement pages of these two websites. And it is a roadmap to the two different sides of the left. On Brandon Johnson, it is all of the radical unions. And by the way, and I shouldn't say by the way, <laughs> and not by the way, and incidentally, his biggest union supporters are ACORN. It's SEIU, uh, all, the teach, all the teachers' unions, of course, and all of the hardcore organizing uh, entities, Citizen Action, um, uh, United Working Families. By the, and, I, and incidentally, <laughs> I went and started looking up some of these uh, community organizations that they have listed on their website. And a bunch of them all are resided at SEIU. So really what you have here and if you remember, whose union was SEIU? Obama. This is Obama's machine. This is Obama's people. You, which, which Obama is the real Obama? Is it the establishment guy over with the Bobby Rush crew? 
or is it the authentic communist guy over with the SEIU crew? Because Obama came up through the exact same machine that Brandon is coming up through. The exact same machine. Brandon, we had video, we had we had audio of Brandon with Bill Ayers promoting a book together a few years ago. Well, who else was buddy with Bill Ayers? Barack Obama. I think that the Barack Obama machine might actually be behind Brandon. And this gets me to my soft prediction, which is that the fix might be in for Brandon. And let me play a clip that lead that is what really piqued my interest and got me thinking that the fixed that the fix was in. This is from Fox News, Channel 32 in Chicago. The wild card in all of this is the young voters. Their turnout could make a big impact on tomorrow's results. Nate Rogers is live with more of this story. Nate. Yeah, that's right. I'm Don and Corey. Young people we spoke to today say they too are tired of all of the crime as well as disinvestment in certain communities. Those young people in an event today coordinated by Good Kids Mad City as well as um, a collaboration with the Secretary of State's office. Young people saying they too have gotten to work and they hope their votes will count. I'm super excited. Next month, Chicago will have a new mayor, and young people are determined to be a part of the process. Show me your sticker, man. First-time vote. Let me see. First-time voter Ryan Gordon has been aggressively rallying his peers to the polls. Are you texting? Are you hitting people up on social media? How, how have you been doing it? Social media and, like, Discord, I'll text my friends and tell them to come out here. Mm. Any of them that's over 17. Hi, guys. Secretary of State Alexi Janulius greeted youth at Leaders Fashion Store here in the West Loop. It was a nonpartisan event, no candidates being endorsed. Young people have to be a part of the process. Again, we're not here to tell people who to vote for. We just want people to be engaged in the process. With so many young people not having a proper ID, the process here made easy. Inside Leaders, state IDs were issued and folks registered to vote as well. After that, young people were bumped to a nearby super site to make their selection. Yeah. Okay, did you pick up on it? So you think the young uh, the young vote is going to do it for Brandon, huh? Oh, I think that the young vote is going to come in and be the hero, just like the youth vote was the hero of the midterms. I think that's what... And, 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 Here's why. Let me just play this part again. Hi, guys. Secretary of State Alexi Janulius greeted youth at Leaders Fashion Store here in the West Loop. Okay, Alexi Gia, 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 Gia I can't ever pronounce his name. <laughs> I, I've, I guess I'm uh, Greekophobic because I can never pronounce the guy's name. Gianna Lewis, Gianna Lewis, Janulius. 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 When I knew him, he went by Alex. So. When he became a politician, he changed it to Alexi. You knew him before he was a politician? Yeah, he was my banker. What? Yeah, I used to bank at his family's bank in Chicago. So you're connect. Oh, I'm so suspicious of you now. (laughs) I have never been more suspicious of Jeremy Siegel than this moment right now. He was your banker? Alex. How'd he do for you? He became Alexi. No, he was fine. I mean, he wasn't a politician. He was just, you know, it was like dealing with a normal business guy. Well, now that he's a politician, who's his best friend? Who's his bestie? 
Barack? He's Obama's boy. Alexei Janulius. He's one of the most outstanding young men that I could ever hope to meet. He's somebody who cares deeply about people. He got that from his family. They really exemplify and embody the American dream. What we want in the job of treasurer is somebody who actually knows how money works and knows how to manage it and make sound investments that protect people's pensions. Alexei Janulius is going to be an outstanding treasurer. Alexei Janulius, Democrat for treasurer. So, Obama's buddy, Obama's boy, his ace in the hole runs the Secretary of State's office. So the only question yeah, you need to ask yourself is who does Obama want to win as mayor? Because that's who's going to win. Well, that's where I'm going to disagree with you completely. Not what you just said, but who's your prediction of as who's who going to no, win. Uh, this is, You're uh, right me, wait, 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 about let me, what you I'm going to amend my prediction because it's going to be in line with yours. My prediction is that it's whoever Obama wants it to be. We okay. may differ on who that is. I think Obama wants Brandon to be... Uh, Brand, no, uh, like I said, we're going to find out who the real Obama is. <laughs> is he actually the corporatist, which I think that is who he is. He's got hundreds of millions of dollars. He seems to enjoy that life. Uh, or is he the guy that came up through the communist machine that put him I'm, in the White House? Right. I'm predicting Vallis. Then it's a huge and betrayal. Because, because Vallis is the guy that is the most similar to Rom. These are the ones that always win, who okay. are connected to the city, to the Chicago public school side of the school debate. The teachers union people don't actually get in there. It keeps the, it keeps the battle going, and it keeps the struggle going. They need to keep the struggle alive. And That's true. They I will raise a lot Obama, of money that way. And ask anybody in the community, in the poorer communities of Chicago, and especially the black communities of Chicago, what Obama ever did for them, and they'll tell you he was the first black president. That's it. He did nothing else for those people, and the reason he didn't do anything is because he is part of the machine. He is part of it. He is a corporatist Marxist, fascist, whatever you want to call him, but he's not a communist. Well, okay, so I'm putting you down. Jeremy is predicting Vallis. That is written in stone. Jeremy Siegel predicts Paul Vallis wins Chicago. Uh, <laughs> and I am predicting... I'm taking Brandon Johnson because we can't be on the same team. We have to, <laughs> and and by so the way, what's, congratulations what's to great. the Truth Bait Podcast for being right once again. That's right. <laughs> One of us is where the Truth Bait Podcast is going to predict the outcome of the Chicago mayor race, and that is that's the kind of value you get from the Truth Bait Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, the Truth Bay Podcast, where we do not take any corporate sponsors. We only have citizen sponsors. It's called the Value for Value Model. And that is how we live. That's why you don't hear any ads. That's why you were able to just hear an hour and a half of quality content, quality analysis, uh, without being interrupted by any ad. But we do have to interrupt you now so that we can tell you about the Value for Value Model. And that equals, if you... 
What that means is if you feel that what we are saying, the things that we are talking to you about, the information we're bringing you, the experience you have interacting with us and being a member of this community, if that's rewarding to you, if you feel that that brings you value, then we hope that you will deliver some value to the podcast. We hope that you will write to us. Write to us at truthatruthbait.com. Tell us how we're doing. That's that this week is the number one piece of value that you can bring to us. Tell us how we're doing and tell us what you want to see this show be. What do you want covered on the show? Do you like that the show goes as long as it does? Do you like the shorter episodes better? Do you like that we are coming to you twice a week regularly? Do you like this schedule? Podcasting can be anything. And we, as we have repeatedly said, we're building a community here. That's the only way this is going to work. We're not doing the corporate model. We're doing the citizen model. And that means we're trying to build a community that you're involved in, that you are a part of, that, uh, you know, the, uh, the segment coming up after this was the direct result of one of our producers writing in, sent me the clip and said, this needs, this needs coverage. Somebody needs to see this. And that's a producer of ours. And so, of course, I'm going to take a look at it. And it was a, it's a huge story. It's enormous. And that's what we're trying to do. That's what we're trying to build. And we want you to be a part of it. Uh, another way is by, uh, well, it, it was feedback and story ideas. Uh, and eventually, uh, eventually we're going to be trying to raise money. And I know that, uh, Jeremy, you're very eager to start raising money, right? <laughs> very eager. I got kids to feed here. And that you have mouths to feed. You have more than kids. You have if we did a mouth count in your house, <laughs> it would be we'd be here for a while. The uh, we should have people sponsor your chickens. Actually, that would be cool. We could have Chicken people sponsor sponsors. specific things on your homestead. Sponsor the bees. Sponsor the bees. So I think that that. But the most critical thing that I think this week we in previous weeks we've asked for people to send us. Story ideas, uh, feedback on our segments. I, I really think, Jeremy, this week, uh, and you were the one who, who said you really felt like that the, our push this week needs to be to be getting listener feedback on on how people feel we're doing, what they want to see, what they want this to be. Is that correct? Did I did I did I capture that correctly for you? It's so critical because if we didn't get any listener feedback in the very beginning of this show, the whole show. We'd really just be talking like this about some of the issues and things that are interesting or not interesting. Meandering, too. We wouldn't have formulated any ideas before coming on to air. We got great feedback from people basically spanking us, telling us to do better. We hope we are. We've been told we are. That's even been some of the more recent feedback. But we are really trying to build the show I mean, the idea is building the show around a community that wants to participate in it with us, that that there's stories that you want to be heard. But not just that, like some I've had people tell me, man, the show is great and it's three hours sometimes. I've had other people tell me, hey, three hours is too long. Everybody's hey, by the got way, a three hours is too long. There's a stop button. You, right. <laughs> you, you, just hit pause. Hit stop. Move on to the next turn episode. Because <laughs> we don't have the physical ability to roll every day and do an hour show every day. So we've been going with twice a week. And, 
you know, sometimes it's two hours, sometimes it pushes three hours. But the whole reason is that we can just like occupy a whole day of yours if you want to and start in the morning and finish at night. Or you can turn it on for an hour and you can turn it on for an hour the next day. Or, you know, maybe you missed the last hour sometimes. That's okay. But mainly, what are you guys liking? What do you what kind of stories that we've been talking about are your favorite? You know, what what are some things that you've learned that you really didn't know? Like why do you keep listening? Tell us because we'll be able to if we don't hear it from you, then we keep, you know, just relying on what we think is the best thing to do. And, you know, we want to make sure that we have listener input. And the other thing I would say that's critical right now, uh, which is always sharing the show, but if you have not gone on to any of the places where you listen to the show, Spotify or Apple, to write a review and give it five stars, we really need you to do that. That's a really good one, writing reviews. That would be very, very helpful. You're right. It's very encouraging to us, and it's very – like I – when I see other podcasts that I listen to, I mean, if it's rated poorly, I don't listen to it. If it doesn't hardly have any ratings, I'm probably not going to listen to it. If it if there's only, if there's no reviews, I might put it on for a minute. But if I see like, wow, this thing has a lot of good reviews and it's got a lot of five star ratings, it's got to be worth checking out. I bet that helps with the algorithm, At least on Apple right now, we only have five-star ratings, which is great. So thank you. That's because we only have five-star listeners. Whoever whoever went on there. But we know that we have more listeners than we have ratings and reviews for. We can see the numbers. By lots. So please, if you do have time, we are spending a lot of time preparing and producing this show we like doing it um but we we really uh we need participation um in that way uh it's going to be really helpful so any of those things you can email truth at truthbait.com uh just tell us you know we don't we we won't, we don't necessarily have to read your comments out loud if you don't, if you just want to tell us privately or just write on there like just you know don't not read this or don't not or don't error. read my name you know we could say anonymous or if you don't mind your name being read tell us um, but we think some people like you know you want to make yourself up a name that's fine too you know you could be citizen sponsor somebody whoever you want to be. Um, you know, you could be citizen sponsor Fithian or something like that. I don't know, <laughs> um, but that's fine. Just uh, we 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 need to. I mean, we there people do tell us things they like, don't like, but really, it's we got to hear from other people too that we haven't heard from. Um, we the only way we can make it more like what you're enjoying is to know what you're enjoying about it. And I'm very, very grateful for the people who have sent in clips. Uh, Like I said, in the previous segment uh, with Brandon Johnson, that one came to us from Ann in Wisconsin. You are our our producer for today. You're one of our producers for today. Thank you very much. And this next segment comes from Big D in AZ. And we tried to get to it in the last episode, but we just ran out of time. We were rounding near three hours and just, Figured, okay, enough. We can push this one to the next episode. 
And so here, let's let's get into it. He sent me a clip that absolutely blew me away, Jeremy, because I haven't heard a word of it here in the United States. And it's an enormous story happening just over the border in the north. So and of course it's our corporate it's our corporate sponsored media that's preventing us from hearing it. They they don't they, there's no interest. And that raises a bunch of questions, but you know Canada Canada's on fire, man. The Canadian government, the liberal government up north is on fire. They have a scandal going there that could bring down the entire government. It's No. Yeah, it's possibly the biggest scandal they've ever had. And there's no coverage of it here. And now, okay, well, why is there no coverage here? Maybe there's no coverage here because our, again, our corporate media is very Amerocentric, navel-gazing. If it isn't about us, we don't care. That's possible. But if you listen to the story, I think you'll realize there's probably another reason why our corporate media has no interest in this story. It is very, very, very inconvenient for the narrative. This is from Globe and Mail. They have excellent music. We need to get their library. We've been hearing a lot about China's possible influence over Canadian elections. All Canadians can have total confidence that the outcomes of the 2019 and the 2021 elections were determined by Canadians and Canadians alone at the voting booth. Justin Trudeau knew about this interference and he covered it up because he benefited from it. He is perfectly happy to let a foreign authoritarian government interfere in our elections as long as they're helping him. This all stems from a Globe and Mail story about documents from CSIS, Canada's intelligence agency. Those documents raise concerns about election interference, as well as Canadians being targeted through hacking, bribery, and sexual seduction. But these documents are also part of a wider pattern of China trying to gain influence in Canada on all fronts. The Globe's Bob Fife and Stephen Chase broke this story. And so we were able to view some of these intelligence reports. And so just to be clear, you, you viewed them, you don't actually have them in your possession then? No, I mean, you, you can't have secret and top secret documents you're open to being prosecuted. Obviously, what you're talking about here, these are these are sensitive documents about national security. Uh, there's probably a reason why they're not public. Why did the Globe feel that it was important to publish the information that was in these documents? Well, first of all, I think that Canadians should know about this. I think these are kind of information that should have been presented to parliamentarians. Now, look, we have not reported on some of the things in those documents but there's no reason why Canadians should not be told the extent of Chinese interference in the Canadian electoral process. The best way to deal with this kind of interference is sunshine and transparency. Hmm. Sunshine and transparency. And I think that the government is partly not wanting to do this because the documents show very clearly that China would prefer to have the liberals elected and not the conservatives. That's what the documents say. Now, they weren't 
particularly happy with the liberals, but they felt that they were the best alternative to the other parties. So these are some big revelations here that we're talking about. This is very orchestrated, very particular things that are being done. Can I just ask you broadly, Bob, because you're talking about these revelations uh, about the 2021 federal election, that there was some kind of involvement here in the election. What did we learn specifically from the documents about what was happening here? So it's the way they use... um, influential people in the Chinese Canadian community. A lot of these organizations and cultural groups have very strong connections to the consulate and the people involved in the consulate. And so they um, get them to get the message out to people like you really shouldn't be supporting this conservative candidate because he's anti-Chinese, for example. They are able to, they have, have had success according to these documents uh, with the Chinese language media and social uh, media platforms such as WeChat. It goes everything from disinformation campaigns on social media and in Chinese language newspapers to cash donations to preferred candidates to hire, having uh, friendly employers hire international students who are studying in Canada and paying them to work as volunteers on campaigns, which is a big deal because election Mm -hmm. campaigns, having volunteers to work is really, really important. To uh, illegal, uh, other illegal operations, cash donations, of course, are illegal, but you would get um, somebody to contribute to a campaign and then they would, once they get the tax receipt back, uh, they are reimbursed uh, privately for the uh, money that they that the tax receipt did not make up for. So these are illegal mm. operations. Huh. And by the way, I should say, they're doing this in other countries as well. Australia has uh, has woken up to this and have been very, very concerned about very, very similar activities. I'm sorry that that clip was a, was a bit long, but there's no coverage of this story in the United States. And I wanted our listeners to get a good piece of, you know, an immersive piece to explain what is happening. This is an enormous story up there. And we haven't heard, we haven't heard word of it. Doesn't it sound vaguely familiar? Sounds very familiar, doesn't it? That's, and that's why I don't think it's that we're merocentric. I I think our corporate media is hiding from the story, which is, which is what gives it more credibility in my mind. The more they're running and hiding from it, the more true I think it must be. Is their corporate media car what, that was that Canadian public radio? So that was Globe. Oh. No, that was Globe and Mail. They're the ones that broke the story. They're owned by Thomson Reuters, the parent company of Reuters. I went and looked on Reuters to see how much coverage they have of this. Very little. Uh huh. That made me suspicious that there's something about this that's only for domestic consumption in Canada. Right. But the fact that our, like I said, the fact that our corporate media is Hiding from this story makes me think that they, it's very inconvenient for them, which gives it credibility in my mind. Uh, so CSIS, CSIS, that's their, I guess that's their NSA, uh, had their eyes on liberal MP Han Dong since 2019. And this is where the scandal gets even bigger. Because, as you, as you heard hinted at in that first clip, Trudeau was warned. CSIS warned the Trudeau government 
who promptly, promptly ignored the warnings and supported Dong's successful candidacy, Jeremy. Here's Global News reporting on that. Intelligence sources tell Global News that investigators have been tracking current Ontario Liberal MP Han Dong since the summer of 2019. And those sources say he is one of 11 Toronto area riding candidates believed to be supported by Beijing in the lead up to that year's federal election and alleged to be an affiliate in China's election interference networks. Far after an eight-month investigation, intelligence sources have told Global News that current Liberal MP Han Dong is alleged to have been supported by Beijing in 2019, and the Prime Minister's senior staff were warned about it. Reliably read since 1993, scoring the Liberal nomination in Don Valley North has been harder than winning a general election recently. But instead of leaning on his connections as a former Ontario MPP, sources say Han Dong had help from the Chinese consulate in Toronto to become the 2019 Liberal candidate in the riding. Through a combination of CSIS documents and intelligence sources, Global News has learned the consulate allegedly sent two busloads of Chinese-Canadian seniors to the Don Valley North Liberal nomination meeting. And those seniors knew who to vote for because Don's name was written on their arm. Sources also say CSIS suspected that Chinese international students with faked addresses were bussed in and told by the PRC consulate to support their preferred candidate if they wanted to maintain their student visa status. Global News has not verified the allegations against Dong. Get ready. This is where it's going to get really crazy. Listen to this part. But even if they are found true, political parties are private organizations and can set their own rules. Non-Canadians can vote in Liberal nomination races. Wait, what? (laughs) Non-Canadians can vote in the nomination races, which I'm pretty sure is exactly what the left wants here in the United States. And what happens is, is when you end up with an uncontested seat, all they have to do is win the nomination process. So they have a built-in way for foreigners to elect some of their ministers of parliament. They're nuts. Oh, we're going to have that here. Yes. Bill Ayers, Bill Ayers wrote about that in his book, uh, Demand the Impossible, which is in, in makes the argument of why we uh, should have foreign citizens voting in our elections because our politics and our economic policy impacts everybody around the world. <laughs> well, so they should right. Have I've heard that. That's election. right. Everybody's, everybody's a stakeholder. Yeah. Well, I guess that means we're going to be able to vote in Chinese elections soon. Well, not if you're white. All their decisions. No, no, no. The Chinese are extremely racist. They prefer very white skin. We're not white enough for them. Is that right? Uh, Yeah, the Asian culture has a problem with that. (laughs) So does every culture. Uh, So I think that's why they don't want to play. That's one of the big reasons they don't want to play this story in, in the United States, because this is exactly what they want. They... This is a story about their system enabling foreigners to elect ministers of parliament. You can't have that story here in America when that's the direction they want us to go. If they live in the riding and are party members. This is Han Dong. I'm the liberal candidate for Dong Ali North. Dong won the nomination, but he still needed Justin Trudeau's stamp of approval to carry the liberal banner in the suburban Toronto riding one with a sizable diaspora of Chinese Canadians. A senior intelligence official told Global News CSIS shared their concerns about Dong in late September 2019 during a classified briefing with senior Liberal Party staff who hold security clearances. In that meeting, CSIS urged them to rescind Dong's nomination. 
Caesars was concerned that Han Dong was connected to the People's Republic of China Foreign Interference Network in Canada, an official with knowledge of the brief told Global News. Despite the alleged warnings to his staff, Trudeau approved Dong's candidacy. So that's a big part of the scandal now, is that the Prime Minister's office was briefed and ignored the briefing and, and backed Dong anyway. And uh, so Dong has since resigned from the Liberal Party just recently and is now seated as an independent while he fights to clear his name. Uh, Global News, who that was the report you just heard was from Global News, which is, uh, no, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, shoot. There's two, so there's, there is Globe and Mail, and then there's Global News. Yeah, so you, the report oh, you just okay. heard was from Global News. Globe and Mail was the first clip that I, that I put. So, but these two, these two news organizations have really broken the story. Globe and Mail broke the first part of the story. Uh, Global News broke the second part about, about uh, Han Dong. And they caught up to Dong in a hallway uh, to press him on, uh, on what he knew, uh, whether he knew that he was uh, being given help from the Chinese. Can you categorically say that they did not help you? Yes, I can say that. You Even know, to my, to my knowledge, okay. I was not offered, I was not told, I was not informed, nor would I accept any help from a foreign country, whether during my nomination or my election. Now, the, uh, to my knowledge, is a gigantic hedge. <laughs> if you really didn't accept anything, there wouldn't be a to my knowledge. <laughs> there would be, I, I, of course I didn't accept anything. And if, any, if, I, if anybody did try to help me that way, then I would reject it and I, and I condemn them. You would condemn it. You would, well, to my knowledge, I didn't receive any help from China. <laughs> yeah. I think the dude might have received from help from China. And I asked him directly about the key allegations from our reporting, Donna, that the Chinese consulate in Toronto bust in seniors and international students to vote for him in his 2019 nomination meeting. Here's what he said. Did you see any irregularities at the nomination meeting that would suggest that any of that? My campaign offered transportations to seniors, not just Chinese seniors. And the bus involved in the transportation is properly expensed and reported. And that's on public record. It was, it was directly international, so I don't, really don't know who's international, who's not international. It's not my job to check if they're international students or not international students. I don't know. I don't know, Reggie. <laughs> he, doesn't, he doesn't know if any of them were legal or illegal. That's not his job. He's just getting people to the polls. And it gets worse for Don. Yeah, because now he's accused of coordinating with the CCP to persuade them not to release two Canadian citizens who were political prisoners the CCP was holding in retaliation for arrest of the Hawaii CEO in Canada. I forget her name. Uh, but you might remember the uh, America swore out a warrant and Canada grabbed her and held her. And then China grabbed two Canadians uh, to hold them in exchange. And reportedly... Dong didn't want the conservatives to gain any advantage from the release of these two. They're called the two Michaels because their names are both Michael. And of course, Dong, uh, Dong denies uh, doing that too. 
this is from CBC. He allegedly in February 2021 told a Chinese diplomat that Beijing should hold off on freeing Michael Spavor and Michael Kovrig, the two Canadians it was holding imprisoned, because that would favor a conservative government returning to power. Now, these are not allegations CBC News has verified for itself. Global News is citing two unnamed national security sources. Here's what Dong had to say for himself. What has been reported is false. And I will defend myself against these absolutely untrue claims. Now, pressure's been mounting on the governing liberals to have an independent public inquiry into allegations of foreign interference by the Chinese government into the 2019 and 2021 elections. Of course, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister, has refused to do that so far, instead naming a special rapporteur to look into the issue. And a special rapporteur is nothing but an aide, a fancy aide who's going to go and, and report back to Trudeau about what needs to be investigated. And I believe that the aide that he chose is like a longtime ally of his. So Sounds like an oversight hearing. Yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it really is. It's, it's, uh, he's attempting to contain the scandal by appointing the special repertoire. Uh, but I, I don't think he's, I, I, it's going to be tough for him to, to contain it. Here's another clip from Global News. Canadians will know by May 23rd whether a public inquiry will be called. That is the date spelled out in the terms of reference given to former Governor General David Johnston, appointed by the Prime Minister to be the so-called special rapporteur. As well, the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, Katie Telford, will testify before a committee as the opposition has demanded. And David, the opposition has been pushing for days to get Katie Telford, the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff, to appear as a witness. Today it was announced she will appear at a committee. Why do they want to hear from her? You know, Telford is the Prime Minister's Chief of Staff and is his longest serving and most trusted political advisor. And therefore, she has crucial information about what the Prime Minister was told about election interference and when he was told about it. The opposition is trying to prove that Trudeau turned a blind eye to warnings by security officials about alleged interference by China because the Liberals stood to benefit from that interference. Either the Prime Minister was completely asleep at the switch or he allowed it to happen because it benefited the Liberal Party. Which is it? Well, it'll be interesting to see if that's a show trial, you know, a show committee in Canada, like yeah. our show committees. It'll be just like ours. Maybe. We'll get to the bottom of it. Maybe. It's, it'll be interesting to see. I'm keeping an eye on it because our, our media certainly isn't keeping an eye on it. And our truth bait producers are going to be able to, to follow along what is going on there. It's entirely possible. I've thought about the possibility that CSIS leaked this information on purpose because the Chinese are done with Trudeau and they're looking to get rid of him. Could be. It could be anything. I don't know about their spy agencies. I don't know if they're as it corrupt as ours are. Be the story so similar to the to the stories here of Russian interference. Uh, but they seem to be taking it. The, the system up there seems to be taking it much more seriously. Other than the liberals, the media yeah. there seem to be taking it much more seriously. They seem to almost all be running with it now at this point, as though it's an actual story. Huh. 
Well, I think that's a good one from Big D. It is a very good one from Big D. Let me play this. Uh, so while Canada's politicians seem to be every bit as corrupt and incompetent as American politicians, there appear to be a few real journalists left, Jeremy, uh, up in the great white north. And one of them pressed Trudeau on whether he was briefed by CSIS, and if so, why he chose to ignore them. Were you, your office, or any Liberal Party staff ever warned before or after September 2019 election about CSIS concerns that Mr. Hong Dong was suspected to be involved in the People's Republic of China foreign interference? And if the Liberal Party government was warned prior to the 2021 election, why did the Liberal Party allow him to run? Well, that is a hard-hitting question, a direct question. And isn't it refreshing to hear a question from a Western reporter to a Western leader so direct? Yeah. I mean, a Western leader on the left, sorry. Let me start by being very, very clear. And by the way, when he, I'm sorry, incidentally, when he says, let me start by being very, very clear, you can tell that there's going to be a big fog of words coming up. There's no, oh, yeah, nothing clear like is about the, to come out of that, him. <laughs> that's like when you tell somebody, when you start a phrase like, no offense, but, or you know you're about to get offended. <laughs> let me, uh, what, is it, what is the other one that people say, uh, uh, to be honest? <laughs> which implies everything up to that point has not been honest <laughs> let me be perfectly clear let me start by being very very clear there are 1.7 million canadians who proudly trace their origins back to china okay i'm going to spare you now 45 seconds of him just uh, spouting bromides about uh immigrant chinese people in response to were you warned about Chinese interference? And if so, why didn't you do anything about it? His response is to spend a full 50 seconds talking about the wonders of Chinese immigration into Canada and what wonderful citizens they are and that they need protecting. So I'm sparing you that. I actually just spent that 45 seconds. I might as well I just play to him. I think I'm less, I'm less annoying, I hope, than, than Trudeau. And now you're about to get a dose of Trudeau. It's also very important to highlight that we have national security intelligence agencies who are there to protect all Canadians of all different origins as well as our democratic processes. And we always engage with them and listen to them. That was as close as you get to him admitting that he was briefed. That's as close as you get. But let me also be very clear to a really important point that I think uh, some folks are choosing to overlook. In a free democracy, it is not up to unelected security officials to dictate to political parties who can or cannot run. And that's a straw man because, according to the reporting, they didn't dictate. They just let him know and suggested strongly that he not support the guy. That's a really important principle. We, of course, draw on the expertise every step of the way. But the suggestions we've seen in the media that CSIS would somehow say, no, this person can't run or that person can't run, is not just false. It's actually damaging to people's uh, confidence in our democratic and political institutions. I think this guy is a political genius. I, I've never heard anybody talk like he does. 
he is it's uh, you would rather poke out your own eyes i think <laughs> than than have to listen to this guy full time he it's amazing he buries the he hides the answer in a unplayable soundbite uh, Audience, the news producers have to have to hate having to play this guy because he puts people directly to sleep, and that's his genius. He obfuscates with, uh, with again, with all the all the leftist bromides about. He, I mean, he 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 takes on the role. This is how you this is how you can watch everything he does. He represents the oppressed. Yeah, every answer is. These are the oppressed people, and I am defending them. And the implication is that by asking the question, you're the oppressor. And oppressing them. He's a lot like Obama, really. He is the Canadian yes. counterpart, even into the conspiracyville where Obama was the son of Frank Marshall Davis, the old uh, communist guy from Hawaii. From I think though from Chicago originally, uh, supposedly Trudeau is the son of Fidel Castro. I see that? a lot of a lot of convincing evidence for that. By the way, <laughs> yeah, if you look at the pictures, Incidentally, <laughs> he does. By the and way, his mom was there. Wow. They they didn't she write about being infatuated yeah. with Castro and they knew each other. So yep. I think there's Evidently a lot of it's, yep. likelihood that Evidently. that is exactly who his father is. Uh, it, it, uh, just my last clip, and it is this reporter trying to get him to give a straight answer. Prime Minister, uh, just a follow-up on that question on CSIS and Handong. Are you saying that they didn't warn you, or were you warned and you chose to dismiss it for those reasons? Uh, just wanted some clarification. Once again, one of the things we've seen, unfortunately, over the past years is a rise um, in uh, anti-Asian racism linked to the pandemic. Yeah, that's where I'm wow. cutting. I'm cutting him off right there. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Once again, I'm going to tell you something that has nothing to do with the question you asked me. It's genius. It is absolutely genius. We need to send that reporter up there that was grilling uh, Brandon Johnson. That's right. That would be great. She was a bulldog. You sent her up there. No, no, no. Answer my question. It's a yes or no. Come it's right yes back to no, it. It's a yes or no, Fidel Jr. I think that, I don't know. I think Castro, I mean, uh, Trudeau would, would defeat it. <laughs> I think he would overpower her skills. <laughs> there is he no might. beating this guy. He's, he's a he narrative Teflon. It's unbelievable. He might hypnotize her with his monotone. Let me be perfectly clear. In that tempo, in the way that he speaks. I'm that. going to tell you something that has nothing to do with what you just asked me he, about. Any question you ask triggers the oppressor-oppressed narrative from him. But, Doesn't but to matter. be sure, to be sure, to reiterate, the question you just asked me is a question I'm not going to answer. <laughs> he d that's the thing, though. He did answer Am it. Am I clear? That's what Am was I so clever. Enough? He did answer it. And she didn't even realize that he answered it. But he did answer it. He said, we meet with them. 
That was his implication. He's, he's and now the next time he's asked, he's going to say, oh, "I've already said we did meet with them. I've I haven't already, denied anything." Let me be clear. I've already answered that. That's question. right. And that puts it all in the past. This is old news we're talking about now. I've already we're answered that. To move on to helping the great people of our beautiful wild country, Canada. This is what it sounds like in Canada. Well, most of Canada. Balloons flying around that you need to worry about. It's c- c- it's c- c- cold up here. <laughs> Thank you very much, Big D and AZ. That is a huge story, and that is that is what the Truth Bait Podcast community is all about. Thank you. That that really is the community in action. I like it. I like it. And that brings us to the end of episode 13. Did I mention that it was episode 13? I didn't. <gasps> I didn't mention at the beginning that it's episode 13 and that it's April. It's Tuesday, April 4th. I blew it. We're going to put it in the title. How is anybody going to know? <laughs> They're going to know. They're going to see it's number 13. I'm so sorry for disorienting people. It's okay. Put the music back on. Thank you to Ann in Wisconsin, to Big D and AZ, and to all of our producers. Citizen sponsors. What was that? I had it up too loud. What What did you say? Citizen sponsors. Thank you. And thank you, Jeremy Siegel. Thank you, Mr. Marcus, for more brilliant insight. The brilliance was all yours. Well, I just showed up. (laughs) All I did was, people don't know this, Jeremy and I talk before the show. He tells me what he's going to do, and then I steal everything he's thinking and present it as my own idea. (laughs) It does give you opportunity to come up with quick, witty responses. It's a little handicapped. But I have to do that to make it fair. <laughs> uh, well, I am the one who is handicapped. So uh, listen every Tuesday and Thursday, Tuesday and Friday. You can listen Tuesday and Thursday if you want to. But we we drop new recordings every Tuesday and Friday. And write us a truth at truthbait.com. What what what? To the best of, to the best of our ability. Oh, I blew it again. Yeah, it's all right. <laughs> I did. I blew the line. <laughs> right here. Wait, I'm going to do this again. Write us at truth Whoever's- at truthbait.com. Truth at truthbait.com. And tune in every Tuesday and Friday. <laughs> to the best of your ability. <laughs> <laughs> oh, somewhere right around the two hour mark, I start to lose my focus. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> Tune in every Tuesday and every Friday for the to Truth the Bait <laughs> to the Truth Bait <laughs> podcast, where we come to. You, yeah, that's how it is. We come to you every single Tuesday and go. Friday without fail, to the best of our ability. Thank God, Jeremy Lord is here with the willing. brain. Yeah, now <laughs> I just. And by the way, I did. Uh, I did uh, betray your comment that I was really the brains of the outfit by totally blowing the ending of the show. <laughs> Jeremy Siegel, the brains of the outfit. Thank you, Jeremy Siegel. Uh, I'm still going to let you take the credit. And now back to the sea of clickbait with you all. <laughs> <laughs>